This recording is intended to be used as an educational resource for healthcare providers. It is in no way a substitute for the independent decision making and judgment of a qualified healthcare professional. It should not be used to make a diagnosis or to overrule the advice of a qualified healthcare provider, nor should it be used to provide advice for emergency medical treatment. Emergency Situations in the Pediatric Cardiac Patient by Tony Impresia. Hi, my name is Tony Impresia. I'm the clinical educator at Boston Children's Hospital in the Cardiac Intensive Care Unit. I'm here today to talk to you about emergency situations in the pediatric cardiac patient. Pediatric patient population is at risk for respiratory distress and respiratory failure for several reasons. Children have a high metabolic demand, which increases their tissue oxygen consumption. A room air saturation of less than 94% indicates hypoxemia. In children with unrepaired congenital heart defects that have right to left shunting of blood, live with oxygen saturations between 70 to 80%. Some patients might include defects such as tetralogy of Fallot. Those patients live in a constant state of respiratory distress. Children with hypoxemia initially compensate by increasing their respiratory rate and respiratory effort. To maintain oxygen tissue delivery, the child will become tachycardic to increase cardiac output. Respiratory distress in failure. Respiratory distress is a clinical state characterized by increased respiratory rate and increased respiratory effort. Respiratory distress can range from mild to severe. Clinical signs of respiratory distress include changes in breath sounds, skin color, agitation, or anxiety. Children with congenital heart disease may live in a constant state of respiratory distress until a surgical repair can be done. When an additional burden, such as a respiratory infection or pulmonary edema occur, the patient may not be able to compensate to maintain adequate ventilation. The effort of compensating is too great and the patient tires. When this happens, clinical signs of respiratory failure develop. Respiratory failure is a state of inadequate oxygenation, ventilation, or both. Clinical signs of respiratory failure include increased or decreased respiratory rate and effort, increased or decreased heart rate, cyanosis, poor to absent aeration, lethargy, or coma. Respiratory failure requires intervention to prevent respiratory arrest and ultimately cardiac arrest. Respiratory distress and respiratory failure can be caused by hypoxemia. Early signs of tissue hypoxemia are tachypnea, tachycardia, nasal flaring, retractions, agitation, pallor, and fatigue. Late clinical signs of tissue hypoxemia are cyanosis, slow respiratory rate, bradycardia, and altered mental status. Another cause of respiratory failure is hypercarbia. Hypercarbia is the buildup of carbon dioxide in the blood from inadequate ventilation. 
clinical signs of hypercarbia are altered mental status and an increased respiratory rate. Respiratory rate increases to remove the excess carbon dioxide through exhalation. It is important that hypoxemia can be detected through pulse oximetry. However, hypercarbia needs a blood test to be detected. A patient in respiratory distress who is being treated with oxygen may demonstrate an adequate oxygen saturation but still have hypercarbia from impaired ventilation and this might not be detected by external measurement. Clinical assessment is crucial to provide appropriate therapy. In children, clinical deterioration in respiratory function may progress rapidly. Children can compensate for a very long time and then decompensate in a very, very short period of time. For this reason, it is important to act quickly when signs of respiratory distress occur. To optimize patient outcomes, caregivers must intervene rapidly to restore normal respiratory function. Once respiratory arrest progresses to cardiac arrest, outcomes are generally poor. The initial treatment should include support to restore adequate oxygenation and ventilation. Your first priority is to evaluate the airway and the patient's breathing. You want to support the airway. Place the patient in a position of comfort, open the airway, and clear any secretions that might be obstructing or blocking air entry. Next, you want to assess breathing. Is the patient breathing? And provide oxygen. Continuously monitor oxygen saturation, if available, and assist in ventilation, if necessary, with a bag mask, if needed. The patient's in extreme distress you want to begin preparation for intubation as soon as possible and have everything on hand so intubation can go smoothly and quickly. While you're assessing the airway, it is crucial that someone is assessing the patient's circulation. Assure that the patient has an adequate heart rate and heart rhythm and that there are palpable pulses. This is also a good time to assure that the patient has adequate intravenous access available in the event of an emergency. Some common causes for respiratory failure include pulmonary edema, respiratory infections, and stridor following extubation, along with pleural effusions. Pulmonary edema is the buildup of fluid in the tissue of the lungs, most common caused by congestive heart failure. The management of pulmonary edema includes adding supplemental oxygen via a nasal cannula or by providing CPAP, continuous positive airway pressure, or intubation support. You can administer medications including diuretic therapy to, to increase fluid removal. Also adding inotropic support may help improve myocardial function and increase cardiac output, thus improving removal of the fluid. Afterload reducing agents may also be helpful to decrease the workload on the heart. In terms of respiratory infections, for children with congenital heart disease, they are extremely susceptible to respiratory infections that can lead to bronchiolitis and pneumonia. Care should be taken to prevent exposure and possible infections. However, when an infection is suspected, these children require close observation. If the infection is caused by a bacteria, 
treat with proper antibiotic therapy, and treat the symptoms to support the patient's respiratory function. If the infection is caused by a virus, you would treat the symptoms and support the patient's respiratory function. Strider post-extubation is a condition that can occur following repair for the congenital heart defect. Children are typically intubated for a period of time following their surgeries. After extubation, monitor for the presence of Strider. Pleural effusions are a buildup of fluid between the layers of tissue that line the lungs and the chest cavity. The buildup of fluid leads to decreased lung volumes. When this condition exists, you may provide diuretic therapy to help improve removal of excess fluid, or the patient may require a therapeutic thoracentesis to be done to help remove the fluid collection. If the collection is large, this may cause increase in chest pressure, shortness of breath, other breathing problems, and low oxygen saturation. Removing the fluid will allow the lung to expand, making breathing easier and improve oxygenation and oxygen saturation. Shock. The next condition that I will discuss that can lead to emergency situation is shock. Shock is a critical condition that results from inadequate delivery of oxygen and nutrients to the tissues relative to tissue metabolic demands. It is often but not always characterized by poor perfusion. Outcomes in critically ill children can be greatly improved with early recognition and treatment of shock. If left untreated, shock can quickly progress to cardiopulmonary failure and cardiac arrest. When a patient is in a state of low cardiac output and shock, compensatory mechanisms will be stimulated to maintain adequate blood pressure. If the systolic blood pressure is within normal limits, but signs of inadequate tissue perfusion are present, the child is in compensated shock. Compensatory mechanisms prioritize to maintain normal blood flow to the brain and to the heart. To accomplish this, the heart compensates by increasing heart rate leading to tachycardia. Systemic vascular resistance compensates by increasing systemic vascular resistance in an attempt to shunt blood flow to the vital organs, leading to cold pale skin with weak pulses. Abdominal organ vasculature will constrict, leading to decreased blood flow to the kidneys and intestines. You'll see decreased urine output and vomiting may be present. These compensatory mechanisms will maintain normal blood pressure readings. Low blood pressure or hypotension is a late sign of low cardiac output. It may take hours for compensated shock to progress to hypotensive shock, but only minutes for hypotensive shock to progress to cardiopulmonary failure and cardiac arrest. Early recognition and timely intervention are crucial to halting the progression from compensated shock to hypotensive shock to cardiac arrest. The goals to the management and treatment of shock include reversing perfusion abnormalities, improving the balance between perfusion and tissue metabolic demand, restoring organ function, and preventing cardiac arrest. The speed of intervention is crucial 
the longer interval between precipitating event and the start of resuscitation, the poorer the outcome. Once a child is in cardiac arrest, the prognosis is poor. The management of shock focuses on restoring oxygen delivery to the tissues. Treatment consists of optimizing oxygen content of the blood. Administer high concentration oxygen as indicated. Consider advanced ventilation strategies such as continuous positive airway pressure CPAP ventilation or intubation. Improve volume status and distribution of cardiac output. Administer volume in vasoactive medications to maximize circulating blood volume. You also want to reduce oxygen demand. If a patient has fever, treat the fever. Fever leads to increased oxygen consumption. Also, consider sedation and, and, and medication um, to treat anxiety as pain increases tissue oxygen demand. Correct metabolic imbalances such as hyper and hypoglycemia. Also correct hyper or hypokalemia and treat metabolic acidosis. Focus therapy on treating the underlying cause of the shock. Arrhythmias. During an arrhythmia, the heart can beat too fast, too slow, or with an irregular rhythm. Once an arrhythmia is noted, it is important to first assess if the patient is tolerating the rhythm. Do they have a pulse? If there is no pulse, immediately call the rapid response team and begin cardiopulmonary resuscitation. If the rhythm is too slow, this is called bradycardia. Clinically significant bradycardia is defined as a heart rate that is slow compared to a normal heart rate for the patient's age and is also associated with poor perfusion. According to the PALS guidelines, a heart rate of less than 60 beats per minute with poor perfusion is an indication to initiate chest compressions. A slow heart rate can cause shock from inadequate cardiac output. The most common cause for bradycardia is hypoxia. Other causes include poisoning, electrolyte disorders, infection, sleep apnea, drug effects, hypoglycemia, hypothyroidism, and increased intracranial pressure. Treatment of bradycardia includes treating the underlying cause and administering medications to increase heart rate or provide temporary cardiac pacing. A heart rate that is too fast is called tachycardia and tachycardia is defined as a heart rate that is fast compared to a normal heart rate for the patient's age. Fast rhythms can lead to shock and deteriorate further to cardiac arrest. Tachycardic rhythms are classified according to the width of the QRS complex, either narrow or wide. Common causes of tachycardia include tissue hypoxia, hypovolemia, fever, metabolic stress, injury, pain, anxiety, toxins, poisons, or drugs, anemia, tamponade, tension pneumothorax, or a thromboembolism. Treatment of fast arrhythmias include treating the underlying cause. Consider providing vagal maneuvers, 
cardioversion, or pharmacological treatment to convert the rhythm to a normal sinus rhythm. Cardiac arrest. We will now discuss the no-flow phase of cardiac arrest. Despite early recognition and treatment of respiratory distress, shock, and arrhythmias, the patient's condition may continue to deteriorate and lead to a cardiac arrest. During cardiac arrest, the circulation of blood stops, and as a result, absent or ineffective cardiac mechanical activity will occur. Tissue ischemia can cause cell, organ, and patient death if not rapidly reversed. Clinically, the patient is unresponsive, apneic, and pulseless. Cardiopulmonary resuscitation must begin immediately to achieve the best results. Call for help early, assemble the team necessary to manage the emergency situation. Post-resuscitation management. And finally, it is crucial to manage the patient in the post-resuscitation phase. Following a cardiac arrest situation, post-resuscitation phase management is crucial to maintain optimal patient outcomes. This is a high-risk period for the patient. They can develop brain injury, other arrhythmias, and reperfusion injuries. Post-resuscitation management includes identifying and treating organ system dysfunction, supporting tissue perfusion, and supporting cardiovascular function, in addition to providing adequate oxygenation and ventilation, correction of electrolyte imbalances and acid-base imbalances. Avoid hyperthermia and maintain adequate glucose concentrations. In addition, it is important to ensure adequate analgesia and sedation. Thank you for listening to my lecture today on emergency situations. This recording is a production of Open Pediatrics, a free and open access resource for pediatric clinicians worldwide. For more pediatric care materials or to join our global community, please visit our website at openpediatrics.org. Thank you.